everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, first time we're doing this in 2022. How have you been? Good, man. This is. I'm very happy to be back doing this with you, and in this in this new role. I mean, I've been technically, but like we say, we've been your boss now for a month and a half. I mean, you can tell everybody how good of a boss I am. I'm not, you know, I'm not a I'm, I'm not a tyrant. I don't tell you. I don't want to overwork you too much. That's all. That's the other people at the Herald, not me. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Drew's, oh, been, it's, Drew's been great in the, in the new role. Again, he's balancing so many different things. And between the high school all-county stuff that we just finished up that's coming out on Wednesday to getting his feet wet in the editor role, and he's still taking the time to do this with me 45 minutes every week, and I thank him for that. This is fun, man. This is this gets me out from behind the desk. That 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 figuratively speaking, which the desk is always the comfortable desk at home these days. But even so, you know me. I'm a writer at heart. I might be doing a little, something a little different these days, but it's this gets me in the action. So I love doing this with you. And fingers crossed. At some point in the next three weeks, maybe we'll be at a ballpark for spring training. Maybe, hopefully, probably not, but maybe. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's the best yeah. place to start with all of this. Uh, yeah. At some point, eventually, maybe, hopefully let's just mm-hmm. we'll leave all of the potentialness out there. Uh, mm-hmm. it's the perfect place to start with this. Uh, the, both the union and the league owners, they met fine, finally again for talks with the collective bargaining agreement. There's still a lot that needs to be figured out before anything can happen with the season. But the fact that the sides met on Monday for about two hours, it looks like some progress was made. They're meeting again on Tuesday. And the focus of this meeting was the players presented a very comprehensive proposal to the owners. And there was movement, which is always a positive, considering how the first meeting a few weeks ago went, where it was, hey, we met. And that was about it for progress. Uh, But... The players did make a few concessions, according to uh, Evan Drelich and uh, Jeff Pass and a few of the other national reporters out there. A few of the concessions that have been put out there based off this meeting. The union's no longer pursuing its age-based free agency system, which was where players would be able to become free agents after five years instead of six if they hit a certain age threshold by that time, which I believe the number that they were at was 29 and a half years old at that point. So with the union withdrawing that proposal, it's looking like it's going to stick to players that get six years of LMB service time before jumping into free agency. There's also going to be some revisions to the union's proposal regarding how revenue sharing is going to be altered. And some other quick topics, uh, more Super 2 players, which is that group that is between two and three years of service time that get a head start in arbitration. They basically right. they get four rounds of it instead of three. Uh, tweaks to a potential proposed draft lottery. So it's not just solely based on records in reverse order. And hmm. also, which I found interesting, which I should have seen from the first time, draft potential draft pick bonuses for teams that don't manipulate service time. So hmm. this is all progress, again, especially considering it's the second time they've met since the lockout began December 2nd. And it's showing that they are moving in the right direction whether they get everything done in time by mid-February for when pitchers and catchers are supposed to report, who the heck knows. But, yeah. Dre, this is still, at least we're seeing the movement. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I think for a, for over a month, it was like when okay, everybody sounded kind of confident that it was going to be resolved, and we're still going to, you know, even if maybe that's a little bit behind schedule, but not drastically behind schedule. But you felt like okay, but when are we going to hear that the two sides are talking and making some sort of significant progress? Because we know how these things can can play out and can drag out after a while. So it's good. It's, it's interesting which topics have, have kind of been left off now, like I've been let put aside for now, like the, you know, the one about the five years as opposed to six. I thought that'd be a, a real topic of contention considering how, what a change that would be, you know, for, for most players who, you know, when you look at the game now, when you hit a certain age, you're seeing it more and more. There are fewer players playing deep into their thirties anymore. You know, and and teams want to go younger and go younger over and over. So you, even though it's only one year of a difference, it does make a difference in terms of when these guys, at what point in their careers, they made they would be able to go test the market and so forth. And then also the other one you brought up about adding a fourth year of arbitration, that's going to have significant effects in terms of contracts and, you know, how a team basically decides how much payroll to dedicate you know, to a certain player, to go after certain players, et cetera, et cetera. So even though this isn't some of the on-field stuff that people are still debating, or is it going to happen or not in terms of like a, a, a universal DH going forward, stuff like that. Interesting in terms of roster construction and other topics that are going to be settled here in the next month or so, hopefully. So, so we can have some baseball come at the very least, maybe come March. And I think that super two thing where it's the guys in between years two and year three of service time, cool. yeah. adding, adding that pool, I feel like is enough of a compromise. If you add more to that pool of guys who get to start arbitration early, it helps in a way sort of offset them getting that, getting into free agency a year earlier, because when you look at it, it's normally it's your first three years, you're making the minimum. So if you're able to start making more than the minimum a year three, it sort of jump starts the extra, the increase in, player pay earlier versus them jumping into free agency a year earlier. So it kind of just shifts that timeline back a little bit more team control stays the same, which will help some of the lower payroll teams in terms of not having to lose the guys who they've been grooming, who they basically have and know that they only have X amount of years with. It helps them in that front, but also makes it so that some of these players are going to be getting money earlier. So at least you have that compromise a little bit in that sense. And I think that that's the whole thing. If you see that a little bit of middle ground might be a way to expedite this and hopefully, you know, hopefully we don't have a situation where we're just waiting and waiting and then this could really start to affect not only the season. I mean, it's a long season, but you don't want to get start kind of the way we were when we were dealing with the pandemic where, you know, you start losing games before you know it, the season's cut in half or maybe cut into three quarters and then, Obviously, that has a whole other set of ramifications for everything, you know, money-wise and so forth. Exactly. And as we say, that spring training, theoretically, it's about three to three and a half weeks before teams are supposed to be reporting their spring training sites. February 26th is the Marlins' first spring training game. Again, we're getting very close to the wire. If spring training gets pushed back and gets delayed a week or two or somewhere in that parameters and that may not be as big of a deal but if we're still discussing all of this as march 31st is opening day approaches then we're gonna have a bit of a problem with how everything goes on from there yeah no i, I, I no doubt i mean again i really really hope that this doesn't become a thing because you know the the sport at this point i think 
we talked about it plenty, both off, you know, off of this and just as both as just fans of the game. I mean, we know not just as media people, but you don't want the, the, the game to continue to take the like an image hit the way this would if it drags into something where you really lose a big chunk of it again over something like this. Yeah, and to shift from the macro with MLB overall, let's talk a little bit of Marlins news, a little bit of news that we have been able to to have during this lockout over the last two months. And the bulk of it revolves around international operations, international scouting. Uh, the international free agent period started about a little more than a week ago. The Marlins went with a bigger approach of quantity in terms of player signing. They have, at this point, they have about 40 players signed through this international cycle. And at that, and they really only have one guy who's in the top 50 per MLB pipeline. And they really did have a few reasons for why they decided to go with the larger pool of players versus trying to focus in on one or two main guys. And that was? Yeah. So, well, again, the big, the big thing was they weren't really in play for any of the top prospects. And with the last couple of years, I believe it was the last year or so, you weren't able to trade for international pool money anymore. So they were stuck with the $5 million or so that they were given. So at that yeah. point, they decided if, you're, if we're not going to get one of the big guns, let's just throw as many darts as possible, get as many guys as we can, and yeah, maybe try to find a diamond in the rough. I mean, if you look at some of the guys that the Marlins have who are international signings, Edward Cabrera was signed for 100000 back in 2015. Sixto yeah. Sanchez back in 2015 with the Phillies signed for 35,000. Yuri right. Perez, who has become a breakout guy in his first year in pro ball, he was signed for 200,000. Yeah. Uh, Gerard Encarnacion even back in 2015, 78,000. So you don't necessarily need it. You don't necessarily need to be giving the one million, one and a half million, two million dollar signing bonuses to get a guy who could help you at the big league level. And then also, and we'll touch specifically on you Adrian find- Lorenzo. Yeah. You could find a gem for 35K and then have what happened with, not to pick on them, but a certain guy. Still, still waiting on a certain guy with names. a double first name. All right. Yes. A guy with a double first name that was given near six mil. Yep. So, or and five his, mil. Sorry. Yeah. He was about five and a half. His younger brother, though, for one million, is looking like he's got that trajectory going too. Which, again, is a bargain by comparison. Exactly. And I, te- I teed you up on the reason too, because remember, I, while I, I, all this happened while I was up in the on, uh, up at the outpost uh, covering the Seminoles, so I, 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 I'm glad this. Th- it's going to take this pod to, to refresh my memory on little things like the pool money not being. Uh, they they did so much with that in the past to be able to, yeah. to gather some of that, so that definitely was a hindrance. But yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest thing, and this is something that I think you know over time you know, the two of us out there, what I used to always hear was in, 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 in Latin America that the Marlins weren't like you'd hear, like, like if you're, if you're okay, if you're a 14 year old in the Dominican playing baseball, you know, who the Red Sox are, you know, who the Yankees are, you know, who the famous teams are, but you don't know, you didn't know who the, like you get, you would hear that the, from scouts or whatever, the, maybe the Marlins didn't have that name that they weren't on the radar as much. It seems like that's changing a little bit, not to the level of the powerhouses that, that I just mentioned, let's say, but they're not non-existent anymore. And I think that's from 
Fernando Saginaw and his guys, and now Adrian's going to try to keep that going. And he has to an extent already, but now in this position, he's going to be front and center with that. And they need yeah. to, and they need to, whether they get a guy like we were talking about them, whether for a certain amount of money or not, I think that volume is only going to help. And I like the fact that I know this was another topic we're going to get into that Adrian's talking about the importance of not just going to the Dominican, not just going to Venezuela, but expanding throughout the different countries around the globe and hitting the area, those areas as well, that you may be able to, you know, find some diamonds out there that you're not expecting to. And that's going to be huge for them going forward. Yeah. And before we dive in that, let's just, I need to backtrack a little bit because I skipped over this at the intro of this part. Uh, Adrian Lorenzo, who's been with the Marlins, is going into his fourth year now. He's now overseeing all of international operations. He's the Marlins senior director of international operations. And I know, Dre, I know back when you were with The Athletic, you did a profile of sorts on him and just his rise through front offices. He started with the Red Sox in 2013, was there for six years. He had some some stints in international scouting. He was their coordinator of international scouting at one point and then assistant director. And then he came to his hometown Marlins. He's a blend Jesuit graduate. He's mm-hmm. been with the Marlins for four years now. He started as a special assistant to baseball ops and then in and then moved up in the scouting sections in 2019 and 2020. Uh, and then 2021 was a director of baseball operation, basically serving just under GM Kim Eng in the baseball ops side. Uh, Dre, can you give us a little more background on Adrian, what you remember from when you did that profile on him? I think it was back in 19. Well, I, I remember a fun, the, the funny little uh, subplot of that was I remember, I think, getting, I think doing the interview with him in like a utility uh, closet that was the only place I wouldn't be, have noise around me at, one, at some ballpark. I can't remember which ballpark I was at, but it was one of those where he had to do the interview on the fly and then cover the game and all that. So that was an interesting one too. But, you know, the, the things that we reporters have to do that people don't realize sometimes. But, uh, but anyway, um, Adrian impressed me just the track record. And you mentioned it pretty much just the way that, you know, wearing different hats along the, along the way, learning the ins and outs, the way he just prepared himself for the job or any job that he got along the way, I think was the, what impressed me. And then just his knowledge. And I think the, like you said, the background of growing up in Miami where you come across, you know, people of so, so many, uh, so many nationalities, so many Hispanic players anyway, then once he got the opportunity, you know, to go abroad and really do some scouting out at that point, I think it only added to his knowledge of, you know, just, just what it takes to kind of recognize talent and, you know, and, and just be that kind of like talent evaluator that this team needs. And I think right now he's been groomed perfectly for this role. I think having worked for a franchise like the Red Sox really gave him some interesting perspective as well. And I remember he kind of, you know, at length told and took the time to tell me a little bit about that when we spoke and, and an impressive guy because really to do all this and what is he now? I mean, at the time he, we, our whole, the whole reason I wrote about him was that 30 under 30 project. Is he, what was he now? 31, 32. He's gotta be somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's, he, gradu- he's only he graduated, from Belen in, he graduated from Belen in 2007. So yeah, there, very, there you go. Yeah, so he's gotta be 31, 32. He's in that role, that age yeah. range. He's already, well, already this I'm, high up in the, in the totem pole. I'm a 97 Champagnat grad, so do if you do the math, and I'm 42, then he's 32 probably. So yeah, yeah, there you go. I am a 2013 grad from high school, so I know I'll just stop with that right now before Andre yeah. Andre assigns me some more work to do. <laughs> you, you kids, okay? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but, no, but he, it's very impressive to see how much he's accomplished in a short amount of time. Yeah, and now they'll see where the Marlins are heading with their international operations and what they're trying to do to continue to expand their reach. Uh, Dre touched on at the beginning where, again, they're going to focus on the DR, Venezuela, Cuba, Mexico, a lot of the hotbeds, but they also have, they want to find these other, look into other countries where they have the potential to find find more more players and kind of start a chain, start kind of chart, start their own pipeline. I mean, you can look at the Bahamas, which is the obvious start. Again, having Jess Chisholm Jr. inside the organization helps with just every Bahamian baseball player knows who Jazz, knows who Jazz is. They signed Ian Lewis a couple years back. They got a couple guys this cycle. And everybody from the Bahamas, when it comes to baseball, they gravitate toward Jazz. So if you're able to have him help with leading that pipeline from the player standpoint, that gives you an edge there. A couple other places that Adrian mentioned, uh, Curacao, Brazil, <laughs> just places that you don't may not necessarily think about as being a place where baseball players are home are grown and are going to be the top prospects, but there's always going to be at least one or two players in these countries that maybe aren't recruited as much as scouted as much, but it gives you that chance to try to get a leg up on other right. places. I mean, Curacao, it may not be an abundance like like some of the other countries that you mentioned, but I mean, there's talent there. I mean, Ozzy Albies, you know, Andrew Jones, famously, of course, you know, Kenley Jansen. I mean, it's, it's been guys over the years that, that 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 you can find there. And then Brazil, obviously, everybody considers a nose up for, you know, being the, the, the soccer nation and all that. But there is some baseball talent out there, too. So, yeah. I mean, like you mentioned the Bahamas. The Bahamas, and we talked about this the other day, too. I mean, baseball is growing there. And right now, it's almost like you got you were fortunate enough now that you you kind of landed the poster child for baseball in the country, at least at the moment, mm -hmm. in jazz. And a guy like that that we know has the charisma and everything, obviously, and he's, a, he's, he's fun to watch, et cetera. But he can be kind of like that ambassador, too. And that, that'll have just guys gravitate. Like, like you were mentioning so i mean again the approach is good let's see how much how many how much inroads they can continue to build because obviously they had a long way when they really put started to put this effort forth in these last few years yeah and then a couple other things to wrap up the international side of things uh marlins have been on the works with a new dominican academy complex they broke ground back in uh june of 2021 and they're getting development there uh Basic version of it, 35-acre plot of land. It's going to have three MLB-sized playing fields and agility field, four covered batting cage tunnels, and six covered pitching mounds. There's also an athletic and administrative building, a, a residential complex that's supposed to fit. I believe the number was about 115 beds. So they're expanding there, and that's also a enticing point for some of the international signees, especially since a lot of them start – at the Dominican Summer League. So if you yeah. see the complex, you see all everything that they're investing in. And again, this all is happening over the last seven, eight months. It's going to be a little bit before it's finished, but mm -hmm. it's been progress there. And with what they've done with the complex, it's also made it easier for MLB to green light uh, the Marlins getting a second team in the Dominican Summer League, which also goes back to what we did at the beginning with them signing mm -hmm. 40 guys. They kind of needed to with a second team now to be yep. able to get that groundwork there and to be able to have enough bodies to be able to field two teams on the DSL. Yeah. 
not and more games and that that all all that just adds to it and and this was the dream this was the dream that i remember like another when i went down there a couple of years ago and did the story on sandy i also went to the complex at the time and, and you know it was good enough to have an operation running i guess you know and the field is okay but this was the talk this was the the dream was we're gonna we're, we're gonna do this we're gonna break ground on it and then everything is really going to be state-of-the-art. So it's good to see that, I think it's been two-ish years later, more or less. Now it's come to fruition, and now it's starting to be put in place. Because that's, again, it's just going back to the whole thing where it's just going to make their presence so much more noticeable in the Dominican, where you really need to have it to compete with the heavyweights like the Yankees and the Red Sox and all the traditional powerhouses. And also just having that extra team that helps especially with the way that minor league baseball got condensed after the pandemic where you don't have mm -hmm. that short season a team you're yeah at that spot where especially once you get into june july when you have a draft class come in and the international signing signees starting their season to have two teams in the dr makes it easier so that you don't necessarily need some of the other the top guys going into the florida complex league Remember, right. we have to keep that acronym figured out. And with that, with that hybrid where you don't have the short season A anymore, when you're yep. looking at it and you potentially have six shortstops for two teams, mm -hmm. having that extra team out there gives you a little bit more wiggle room to be able to get guys all the at-bats they need without having to mm -hmm. jump them up to a higher level. Yeah. It, it, it only look BP and all the simulated stuff can only take you so far. Like it's, it's so much better when you can play when you can play games, you name it, exhibitions, whatever, just that, that game experience, there's no substitute for it. And I still, you're still seeing the effect that the shutdown had a year ago, not just on the Marlins, but on a lot of teams. But, and, and then this is, again, this is only going to help to get that, to get back up and continue to get back up to speed. And, and, and just in terms of evaluating guys better, having more to look at, et cetera, et cetera, as, as people know. So. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And then second half of the show, we're going to talk Hall of Fame. Results are coming out Tuesday, so might as well mm -hmm. get, all this, get all this discussed. So we yeah. will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back, everyone. And like I said, right before the break, Hall of Fame time. Mm -hmm. Looking like we're actually going to get somebody in this class after nobody was in, was named in the 2021 class. At the very least, David Ortiz looks like he's going to be a lock. Uh, per Ryan Thibodeau, who has been tracking ballots annually as people submit their ballots and just keeping the track of everything. Uh, as of the time of this recording, David Ortiz was on 84.5% of ballots that have been made public and about half the ballots have been made public. Usually if you're at that mark at the halfway mark at the halfway of a ballot submissions, you're usually safe. You need right. at least 75% support to get in. And again, big poppy, first time ballot, first time, first time ballot. It seemed like a no brainer with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's easily a no brainer. I mean, you look at, 
the numbers he put up. Good to see another DH type guy like uh, after Edgar Martinez did and got in a few years ago. Now, now it's Poppy's turn, you know, most likely. But um, the interesting part, not just, I mean, we talk about Ortiz and the great career he had, but I think the interesting part is really do the most controversial guys finally get in or not? I mean, it, it's right there, uh, you're hanging by a thread right now at, at where it could go one way or the other, and this is the last chance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, we're at, again, and obviously you guys don't need us to say the two guys are Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Uh, again, as of the time of this recording, Barry Bonds is at 77.5%. Roger Clemens is at yeah. 76.5%. And again, the public ballot is usually higher than what the overall is. And right. again, you need at least 75%. They are literally hanging on by almost the bare minimum to have a chance to get in on their final shot. Yeah. And I mean, this is a polarizing, it's been a polarizing topic for a long time. There's people that still staunchly don't think they should make it. And then there's people that think enough times passed now and so many were doing it back then or doing something, you know, <laughs> I think it, you look at it. If you look at it from that lens, it is a shame that the home run king and a player and a pitcher, as dominant and still to this day, could hang with anybody right now. And I can tell you that from watching him as a kid when he was when he was first beating the Yankees as a member of the Red Sox, and then later pitching for the Yankees. You know, no few ever threw it the way Rock, the Rocket did. And I mean, at this point, I don't know. I mean, it, it'll be. It's I, I'd understand why not, but at the same time, you got to look at it to be a shame. I mean, another interesting one that, you know, we don't, we're not doing the projections for here, but our own Greg Cody, I know, did a column the other day. Correct. Talking about Pete Rose and saying maybe it's time, especially now with the, with the rise of gaming and everything, yeah. you know, and gambling going on, maybe it's time that they, that he's forgiven for, for what happened and given the shot. I mean, I don't know that that's another one. That's a hot, t that's a, a dicey topic for sure. And one more that we'll be able to talk about for the next few years. So on his first year on about A-Rod, he was, yeah. he's at about 40.1%. Obviously he's not making it this year, but right. we'll see what happens with his trajectory, similar to what we've seen with Bonds and Clemens over as they got closer to their time on the ballot expiring and seeing what happens with him. I mean, he's at 40.1 on year one. So needs to get about yeah. 30, 35 percentage points of increased support as time, time progresses from here. And and the ripple effect will just be a lot of writing on this one because if they because let's say if, if Bonds and Clemens do get in, then it's like the then you're opening the floodgates at that Correct. point for anyone from that era or after that or or did any any sort of you know quote unquote cheating. You know, at that point you could see a guy not just A-Rod, but you know, anyone else that's not in that was tar you know, that was considered to have tarnished, you know, their their reputations doing that. Yeah, and also just as a disclaimer, Andre and I are not yet eligible to vote for Hall of Fame. Oh. We have to be part of the BBWAA for 10 years. I'm going to year yeah. four. Right, you're in what, year seven? I'm going into year six. So, you're yeah, I'm still, I'm still a little bit away, yeah. Yeah, so we're a few years away. Greg Cody <laughs> is the only person from the Herald who's eligible. I believe Barry Jackson, I think he's entering year 10 this year. So he's okay. going to be – so we'll, the Herald will have two people who are going to be vote, able to vote starting next year. And, again, it's just – We'll see where things go. The results are being being sent out Tuesday night on MLB Network, and we'll see how that all unfolds. Going back to Poppy, though, 541 home runs. I mean, yeah, 
OPS, a, a career OPS of 141. I mean, you know, 1700, 1768 RBIs. I mean, that's, and not, and then not just all of the numbers, but the impact he had on a franchise. And I say this very objectively as, as, as anyone who knows who I cheered for as a kid, very, you know, very much at the heart, the heart and soul of the teams that reversed the curse in the early 2000s. And just that impact alone, I think, on top of the the career stats, you know, that makes him obviously made him a no brainer. So congrats, congrats to Big Poppy finally getting in. Yeah, and to wrap up our show, I want to send some condolences to Miguel Rojas and his family. Uh, Miggy's mom, Norma, she passed away last week. And Dre, I know again, going back to your days at one of your other outlets, you got to spend some time with Norma. Uh, just what can you say about her? Beautiful person. And I mean, I know, and it's kind of like, I don't want to end this on a super down note right now, but, and I, it hit me the other day when, when I saw it and I, you know, and I reached out to Miggy and, and send him a condolence and, and, you know, and he responded. And yeah, I, I had the chance again, talking about back then, I, I, we sat at a hotel in Chicago and she took the time before you knew it. I thought it was going to be a little while there before I knew it. Miggy and his wife had had lunch, finished, hung out with the kids, and we still weren't done with the interview because that's how much we were just it, it didn't even it wasn't even an interview at that point. It was just two people talking, reminiscing. You know, she was listening after a while about stuff I was telling her about my grandparents and all that. She was telling me about her youth and in Venezuela, all that, and her singing career, which a lot of people I think didn't know till till later when I think Miggy has shared that here and there. Um she was a singer, you know, beautiful voice, man, you know, didn't really have the chance until later in her life to even like cut an album, you know, and, and that was with Mickey's help um, to, to get that done. So, I mean, again, like someone who I, I, I only knew her for a short time, but I'm glad to have known her because, you know, wonderful person, very, you know, I can't say enough about how she treated me. And then what I love too is it wasn't just, you know, sometimes you might meet somebody and have a great experience, but then that's it. No. Every, like every holiday, she'd send me like a little social media note, whether it was Instagram, she'd be like, amigo, uh, you know, you know, hope you're doing well in Spanish, whatever. Or if it was her birthday or if it was my birthday back and forth, you know, like, so that, that distant, you know, friendship stayed in touch. And then, uh, you know, obviously the last year or so, I was really sorry to hear that she had gotten sick again. And even through that, like every once in a while, like we'd send each other like a message. I'd tell her, you know, I hope you're doing okay. Hang in there, that sort of thing. And, you know, I hope, you know, it's always, obviously it's a very difficult time. And, you know, I, I lost people. I haven't, luckily I have my, my, both of my parents, but my grandparents raised me and I lost them years ago. So I know, I kind of know the, the pain of, of that, uh, somewhat of what he might, you know, Miggy and, and his family might be going through right now. So we wish them, we pray that they're, that they have the strength to, to get through this difficult time. And, you know, we're, we're thinking about you. Yeah. Without a doubt. Again, and again, I have didn't really get as much interaction with, with Norma. I was with you post game when we saw, when we saw her before going into in the clubhouse. Wow. What a time that was being back in the clubhouse anyway. Uh, but just the little interaction I had there before, just like, interaction you could tell just the aura she gave off yeah the infectious personality she had and again anybody who's been around miggy you can see where he got it from 
you could definitely yeah. see where he got yeah. that from. And again, yeah. again, that too. Uh, yeah. Again, and, and, and she had a few like when I talked to her that day, when I met her that day, you could I think I even told her, I go, I go, now I see where he gets certain things or like because uh, she had kind of had that spark too, like that kind of yes. that wit, you know. So it's like you could tell, you could tell where he where he draws that from. Yeah. So again, uh prayers to the Rojas family. And on that note, I think that's it for this week's episode. We're gonna be back in a more consistent basis now that we're getting back to again, potentially, hopefully, maybe. The start of spring training, and that, sound, that sounds like a song title, so like or something. It very well might be. Maybe. It very well might be. We'll circle back to that next week. Uh, but with that, well, yeah, go ahead. Post Hall of Fame, hopefully pre spring training soon after that. Yeah, let's let's keep our fingers crossed, and let's hope the conversations and the negotiations and the meetings keep moving in a positive direction. Uh, with that, I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone, and we'll be back next week.